Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Jennifer Kenning. Jennifer, are you ready to do this? Yes, I am. Excellent. Let's do this. Jen joined Experient, one of the largest independent wealth management firms in the United States in 2002, eventually becoming a wealth management director in the family office division. She left in 2014 to found Align, an impact investing firm, and she was recently named to the 2017 Icons and Innovators list by Investment News. We're excited to have you on. Jennifer, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why it is that you do what you do. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So my personal life is actually very much intertwined with my professional life. Um, And what I mean by that is I like to say I walk the walk and talk the talk from everything from carrying a reusable water bottle to a reusable straw to shoes made out of plastic water bottles to really try to um, put meaning to the work that we're doing in impact investing. Um, I live in Los Angeles. I have two pugs. I've traveled to more than 60 countries. And I got into this work because I saw a huge need in 2013 um, of bridging abundance and scarcity. Uh, People with wealth or more than they need, an abundance of resources with people who have scarce resources and are looking for access to opportunities. And it's my personal commitment that the 2 billion people living below the poverty line, which includes people in the United States, that they have access to opportunities and capital and education that allows them to be lifted above the poverty line by 2030. Well, that right there is an amazing and ambitious goal. (laughs) Keeps me busy. (laughs) I, I, I can only imagine. So, if, if you would, just describe what impact investing is. Great. So um, impact investing is something that everyone needs to define for themselves, but broadly it's a lens, so not its own asset class, from which to look at your investments and even your consumption decisions through. Um, and when you're looking through your investments and you're looking at potentially being an impact investor or being a socially minded investor or values-based or aligned ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance, all of those kind of fall under impact investing. But again, you need to define it for yourself. It's where you're looking to make a financial return as well as a positive contribution to society, either socially and or environmentally. So you're looking for two, to meet two or three objectives rather than just looking for the financial return. Got it. Okay. And is this a, a new concept or has it been around for a little while? Yeah, great question. So actually, it's been around uh, for if you look at it in the manner of social responsible investing, that's been around really since the 60s and 70s. So this isn't new per se, it may be depending on how you define it. Um, Social responsible investing is really negative screening. Um, It's what some organizations, uh, mainly religious in nature, really look at their investments and say, let's divest, let's take out any uh, stocks or bonds or investments that actually contradict our values. That's been around for a while. ESG investing has also been around for a while, which is environmental, uh, social, and governance screens on investments. And impact investing, that term was coined 
2007-2008 by Rockefeller um, and has really been around for the last 10 years in earnest. But I'd say we've been doing this type of work um, over the past 40 and 50 years. And some would even say the Quakers have been investing this way since the beginning of time. It's up to it's subjective, but it's definitely not new. Got it. Well, I think that that's it's fascinating and, and very, very, very cool. Um, also incredibly valuable. What what percentage of people that you're working with are interested in, and, and maybe this is a dumb question, but I know that there's a lot of people who are interested in helping and giving money, but then what resonated with me or, or caught my attention was actually making an investment and looking for a return. So I don't know if that's a very good question or not, but you probably yeah, no. I Yeah, I get what you're saying. So let me give you a few pieces of points of interest. So with people working with me 100%, because Align Impact was created to be an impact investment advisory firm serving single family offices, multifamily offices, individuals, foundations, and institutions alongside their existing advisor. Okay, so a very different model per se. Um, so my client base is 100% focused on this because we're focused in this niche area. I will tell you two stats that have you get the magnitude of why this is on the rise. And then I'll give you some stats of kind of the growth of the market over the last few years. So more than 70% of women surveyed said they would make an impact investment if their advisor brought it to them. So women will be the first inheritors of wealth in the major wealth transfer that you hear about, that's somewhere in the nature of 30 trillion to $50 trillion. And the reason being um, is that women tend to outlast their husband by on average nine years. So the money will pass to the wife, the wife will be in control of those assets, and then that money will pass to the millennials. That leads to my second point. 93% of millennials, millennials are defined as 1980 to, uh, 1995, 2000, roughly. Um, and so they're in their 20s and 30s now. Um, millennials stand to inherit somewhere between 30 and $50 trillion uh, over the next 40 years. 93% of them want to make an impact investment, want to invest along their values, want to work for companies that have these types of values and actually factor these into their consumption decisions. So when you look at that they're the largest population uh, that's working with discretionary capital, as well as they're going to inherit a large sum of money over the next two, three, four decades, you can see why this has gained a ton of momentum. Um, I'll bring you to two other points. Um, one is you uh, have seen a massive growth in the ESG market, so where you're looking at investments and you're actually putting a screen, an environmental, a social and governance screen on those companies in the last, since 2014. In 2014, we had roughly $3.9 trillion in that market. Today, at the end of uh, the middle of 17, which is the last numbers we have, we had $8.8 trillion. And so when you think about that, that's one in every $5 is invested this way in the public markets, which leads to my second point of you're starting to see major players. You can see it in Larry Fink's letter um, a few weeks ago, putting all public companies on notice. You can see it in Goldman Sachs acquiring Imprint Capital, a boutique investment advisory firm around impact. 
You can see it in the Blackstones, the Blackrocks, the Vanguards, the Pimcos, all moving into this space. They are the largest controllers of capital. And so as they move into the space, they develop products that will resonate with their consumers. And you're, that's why you're seeing massive inflows. Lastly, um, the market group doubled um, from 2016 to 2017 with roughly now $120 billion invested in the private market. So that's private debt and private equity. Fascinating. And with so many people, like like you were talking about, 70% of women who said that they would be interested in making an impact investment and the fact that there's going to be this massive wealth transfer potentially to a lot of those people, is it firms like yours and all the other firms you just mentioned that are going to make this accessible to anybody? Or is there a certain profile of people that can do this? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And so I might answer the question and then I might give you five myths and realities that I think really help to dispel all of this. So I think with women and millennials, you're starting to see that we're starting to democratize the retail space as well as the 401k pension market space. And what that means is you're starting to see more and more options on those platforms that allows someone with as little as $1,000 to be able to participate. There are products on the market. A Calvert has a new product um, that you can invest in as little as $20. Um, you're starting to see companies who are putting it inside of their 401k. And that's really where we start to win the game, right? Because that allows people that are starting to save and don't necessarily have a large investment account, but they have a 401k to be able to invest along these lines. Now, you might say, why, is, why haven't we always been doing it this way? Well, it's taken years of regulation and momentum to get us to this place. And I think there's been five myths that have held the space back, right, that have we've been trying to distill over the past decade. Myth number one is that you're, if you're going to be an impact investor, you actually have to take lower returns. Hmm. That's actually not true. If you look at data from Harvard, uh, Oxford, and Cambridge, you can look at three academic studies that show over a 10-year period that ESG products actually can equal or outperform their traditional benchmark. Um, and so you don't have to sacrifice return, but that means you have to do proper due diligence to be able to not sacrifice return, right? So you can't cut corners because you still have to do the same level of due diligence you do in the traditional markets. Right. Myth number two is that there's limited options, right? There's just not enough product in the space. That's also a myth. There's over 1,000 ESG mutual funds and ETFs. There's unlimited amounts of private opportunities. And there's an uh, enormous amount of concessionary or catalytic or grant opportunities that really could propel the whole system forward. So there's actually lots of opportunities in the marketplace. There isn't a lack of product. Myth number three is there's only one way to do it. That's actually, I kind of dispelled that at the opening remarks. Each person needs to define what impact means to them and what impact they want to have on society. Once you define that, you then have potentially three different approaches you could take or a combination of all three. One is you could divest, something similar to the apartheid in Coca-Cola in South Africa, right? The largest part, the largest divestment movement prior to the current divestment movement around fossil fuels, right? So you can divest, you can take out the bad boys, the negative, the things that contradict your values, right? That's one way. Second way is you can invest towards, 
you can reward the companies doing good inside of the sectors, and you can actually move towards a company that you would see as a traditional oil and gas company, but they're actually moving more towards renewables, right? They're actually trying to solve the problem going forward. So you can invest in in the good. You can invest in the private markets. And then lastly, you can engage. So you can be a, you can engage from a shareholder perspective where you if you own a little as little as two thousand dollars of any stock, you can actually vote your proxies and bring a proxy to the floor. It's actually how recycling started at Starbucks in 2011 came out of a shareholder proxy. It's how we got Exxon to disclose after nine years of proxies being on the floor and shareholders having to vote. And you had the PIMCOs and the Vanguards that actually got it across the line, right? Because they represent large investor pools. So you can divest, invest, and engage. Fourth niche is that it's niche and uncrowded. Actually, everyone on that's listening to this is probably like, I've heard about impact investing in so many different realms, really wasn't sure what it was. If you actually put a Google alert on impact investing, you would get multiple articles per day on this topic area. And so the market is now getting crowded. There's at least one or two conferences per month. Um, and so you actually have to start to figure out how you're going to distill all the noise in the space to figure out who the real players are. And then myth number five is that your philanthropy and your investment should be kept separate. Um, and that's really a myth. We have large global issues and we have plenty domestic issues as well. Um, and these issues are going to take all types of capital. They need traditional grant dollars. They need aid. They need government support. And then finally, they need investments. If we're actually going to put 2 billion people on the grid with electricity over the next 12 years by 2030 to meet the sustainable development goals that everyone has access to electricity, we need billions of dollars of infrastructure investment. Those are investments. Those aren't grants. Right. And so we actually need the whole capital structure from grants to the public markets to the private markets to be able to solve the challenges we face, both socially and the enormous environmental challenges that we face. So what is the process if if you're sitting across the table from me or and you say, George, how would you I, I know you're interested in this. How how do we get started? Yeah, great question. So first thing I would say is, George. What's one or two issue areas you would like to move the needle on and why? Let's figure out what you're passionate about. Because here's the thing. The problems we face are globally and domestically are enormous. But if we each took on one or two things, collectively, we would be moving forward. Right? So first, figure out what you care about and why you care about it. And do you care about it locally, domestically, or globally, or all three? And there is no wrong answer. Right? From there, you then want to say to yourself, what am I doing about that today? So if I'm committed to 2 billion people not living below the poverty line, what am I actually doing about that so that's not the case in 2030? And one natural place, which is a huge amount of, is your investment portfolio, whether that's your 401k, where you bank, or your traditional stocks, bonds, and alternative investments, you have different buckets you can look at. So the first place I always say is actually know what you own. So look at your portfolio and there's plenty of tools out there. And if you, you know, anyone can email me and I can point you in the right direction, look at what you own and then actually just be aware of what you own. So if you're a huge environmentalist and that's your number one issue is fighting climate change, you may actually want to know if you own the banks 
that are loaning the money to the Keystone Pipeline. Mm. And you may say, I don't own them outright. You need to look at the mutual funds you own and see how much you own of them inside of the mutual funds. All of this is public information. You just have to keep searching for it. So if you put in the ticker MSCI index, pick your index, you can actually look to see what are the companies you own inside of that index. What that then tells you is that it actually says, am I aligned or not aligned? No pun intended with what I said my mission was, right? So that's a very easy place to start. Um, if you don't have investments per se that are, you know, in an investment account, you only have your 401k, go into your 401k options. There's normally a slew of options, either model portfolios, or you can pick your own portfolio and look at the selection under each different asset class and look to see if you have an ESG option inside of those that menu. Then if you don't go to your employer and say, I would like and be the advocate. I'd like to see an ESG option or a gender lens option or a climate mitigating option on our 401k platform. Trust me, you're not the only one at your company that wants to see this. Right. Imagine, imagine the rippling effect. And then let's just say you're just starting off in your career and you don't have a 401k yet. and You don't have a lot of investments yet. Start with your banking. Look at your banking and see where am I putting my money? How are they lending out my money? What are their practices? If you bank at Wells Fargo, you can look at their practices. They've been all over the news. Figure out, does that align with what you're committed to? And if not, then start looking for other alternatives, a community bank, a credit union, uh, aspiration, right? There's plenty of banking options that are out there that, that actually might be more aligned and maybe contributing to good rather than old business practice that we believe are stale. And then lastly, if you're none of those, I don't know who that would be, but let's just say you live in a cash economy, um, you can look at your consumption decisions. And your consumption decisions are actually the most powerful decisions because consumption drives the economy, right? So you can actually look to see what you're consuming. Who's in that supply chain? Where are they sourcing the materials? Are they treating women and men equally? Do they have child slave laborers in their supply chain? Are they gouging the resource to then try to drive down the price? Is it organic? Is it fair trade? Is it cage-free? X, Y, Z. There's so many different lenses you can look through depending on what you care about. Does this company give back to a nonprofit or have a one-for-one -one mission or a for-profit mission as well as a nonprofit mission? So you can start to look at your consumption dollars, which and for most people, is actually greater than their investment dollars. Excellent. Well, Jen Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? So my tip is twofold. One is we're all impact investors, whether we want to admit it or not. Here's why. Every single investment makes has an impact, whether it's positive or negative. So my tip is do one thing. Either look at your portfolio or your 401k and say, what can I actually do different here from the stuff I quoted earlier? And make one move. That could be engagement. Engage with a company that you want to see better practices. Um, that could be getting an ESG product on the 401k platform. That could be knowing what I own and divesting of something um, that doesn't align with you. My second tip is start looking at what you're buying in the stores, where you're buying it from. Are you supporting locals? Are you supporting small businesses? This country was built on small businesses. Um, and actually be cognizant of where it's sourced 
and how it gets to you, the ultimate consumer, and what role you want to play in that supply chain. Well, that is great stuff, and that definitely warrants a come on. Come on. So, Jen, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? You can learn more about me um, on LinkedIn. It's Jen Kenning. And then you can also learn more at alignimpact.com. And then it's Align Impact on Twitter as well. Um, And then I speak often at uh, conferences and um, across the globe in different uh, MBA programs and universities. Awesome. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Jennifer your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Thank you again, Jen. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.